Well, it feels good to be back here in our, in our uh, worship space, in our sanctuary at 9 o'clock, doesn't it? feels good. Had the summer where we're down in one service, and now being back in our, both of our full hours, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. I always love this day because it's, it's chilly day, okay, and that's great. And, you know, here's the thing. I, as I kind of was talking with people and, and, and meeting people as you guys kind of walked into our building today, people said, hey, Pastor Christian, you, you, made, you made chili this year? And I said, no, I'm, I'm still hurt from the last couple years, Okay. I made green tomatilla chili last year, and everybody said you made good soup, okay? So I'm still a little hurt. And he said, Pastor, maybe you need to preach a sermon on, on holding grudges. And I said, okay, fine, I'll do that. But anyway, um, one of the things that, that, that we learn as we get older is that there are certain unspoken rules about society, um, there are simple things that we learn in America that are rules in this kind of part uh, of this world. For, for instance, uh, a gentleman is supposed to kind of hold a door open uh, for, for a lady, okay? Um, this is maybe something that was an older tradition, but uh, I was even always taught when I was younger that, that men are supposed to walk on the outside of the street, and, and that was an older rule so that if a car came by and splashed up some rain, uh, or, or some puddles that that only the guy would kind of would kind of get get wet and uh, and there are, are unspoken rules that not only just apply to, to men but they kind of apply to, to everyone like like you don't get on an elevator or a train before people have ha, haven't gotten off yet okay is it doesn't that grind your gears okay grinds my gears when I'm like you got to stand to the side let everybody get out first and then you can kind of go in am I are you following with me here okay there is some of those kind of unspoken rules there are even unspoken rules in our house do not put an empty carton of juice or milk back in the fridge okay no, we don't do that, okay? That is not okay. And uh, when you finish, okay, I'm gonna, when you finish with a roll of toilet paper, it's your job to replace the roll of toilet paper, am I right? And it's also your job to put it on the roll right. And if you say, Christian, there are two ways, you're wrong. There's one way, and we all know that one way. If you need counseling after this on that, I'm here, okay? Um, we, <laughs> We often, we often don't notice these unwritten rules until either um, we befriend someone who has not lived in the area of the world that we are living in, or, um, or, or as we get older, or as we start to raise children. We, we don't always notice these things. Kids do a great job of exposing all of the unspoken rules by, by basically breaking all of them. Am I right? I mean, ha- have, you, have you ever been with your child or maybe your niece or nephew and, and, and they point out all of the obvious things uh, around them and, and all it does is make you want to cringe because they just said those things? Like when they first see somebody who's a different skin color than them, they think that they have to tell that person that they are of a different skin color as though they didn't already know that. Um, or they point out like, hey, you're really large. You're like, okay, thank you very much for that. Or they point out that somebody's missing a tooth or, or all of these 
unwritten rules, right, that, that we're supposed to follow and, and have learned over time. Um, and, and when we were supposed to learn all these things, and when, that, when we're with our kids or we're with our grandkids, those things kind of go out the window because children haven't learned that you can't say things like that. Okay, so maybe as time uh, goes by, we, we've learned what we can say and what we can't say in public, and some of that is good, okay? Sometimes learning how to be polite, learning manners, it, it's a good thing, okay? Um, but some of the unwritten rules of our world are not so good for us and are unhealthy for us. And ultimately, uh, what those unwritten rules can do is it can keep us hidden. There is an unwritten rule that we, that we always have to say that we're fine, uh, even when we're not. We're not allowed to uh, be afraid. We're not allowed to be sad. We, we're always supposed to look at the bright side of, of things. And there is an unwritten rule that we should not admit our weaknesses and that we should always be communicating strength, even when we don't feel that way. It, it, that it's not okay to be weak. We can't admit it. And, and even when we are, are hurt or in a moment of weakness, we're basically asked to proverbially walk it off. The gospel tells us a very different message. Um, I don't know if you are, are new here or, or not, uh, but we are kicking off the year by talking about how what we believe should be the driving force of any Christian church. And that is the gospel. The gospel literally means good news. And, and this good news is that God sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to live a sinless life, to die a substitutionary death, and to rise from the dead so that sinners who repent and trust in Jesus will be forgiven and have life currently and life eternally with him. The gospel is not something that we go do, but it is something that is done by our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are working together on mission to redeem sinful, broken, rebellious humanity to himself. That is the good news, and it's like a newspaper headline that should stretch across our, our whole world, reminding us about this wonderful, this awe-inspiring historical fact that has ongoing significance in an, in an ever-changing world all the way to the present. Today, I, I would like for us to look at how the gospel makes the church unique. And we're going to do that by looking at the fact that the gospel allows us to be able to boast in our weaknesses and to upend the unspoken rule and admit that we need help and to allow Jesus to be the source of that help and the source of our strength. And, and we're going to do this by looking at our scripture here this morning, which is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 31, one of my favorite places in scripture. So we're going to look at that today. So if you brought your Bibles with you, you can open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If not, we also have it printed here in our worship folder as well. But reading from verse 18... It says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than any human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and that the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Woo! Amen. That is a good piece of scripture. Um, this is being written to the Corinthian church, and uh, the Corinthians were, were people who really valued wisdom. Uh, Corinth was a, was a place of affluence where people from many different cultures and, and many different backgrounds, they, they made their home. It was it was a major place of trade, and because all of these things, it was a place where people would discuss the latest issues and debate the topics of the day. And people who spoke with eloquence were revered, and they were looked up to. And, and, and basically, if, if you couldn't wow the crowds with your, with your speech, then, then you were not someone to be listened to. Uh, thank the Lord Jesus, that's not Moorhead, okay? Um, but they were a group that valued wisdom. And so as Paul writes this, this letter to them, he begins by contrasting the wisdom of the cross to the wisdom of the world. And he says that the wisdom of God will seem foolish to these sophisticated Corinthians who instead turn to the wisdom of the world, which they tout even though they are perishing because of it. If you look down in verse 22, Paul, Paul points out basically two major ethnic groups in the world that he found uh, that, that, that he knew found Christianity to be, to be foolish. Jews believed that the cross and the crucifixion was the ultimate proof that Jesus was not the Son of God and that he had been cursed. And the other group was the Greeks, who, who definitely couldn't believe in a suffering God. I mean, when you look at gods like Hercules and Poseidon and, and things like that, their gods communed strength. Their gods communed all of those kinds of things, this omnipotence, this all-powerful being. Now, how on earth could a Messiah be a criminal and, and was forced to wear a sign that signified that? How on earth could that be God? There's a, a piece of, of art called the Aleximenos Graffito, and it's a piece of Roman graffiti that was scratched in plaster on the wall of a room near the Palatine Hill in Rome. It was removed and now sits in the Palatine Hill Museum, um, and this may be the earliest surviving depiction of Jesus, and if so, competes with an engraved gem as the earliest known pictorial representation of the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, it's kind of hard to date exactly, uh, and clearly it's the one on the left, not the one on the right, okay? Um, we're not, it's hard to figure out exactly when this is dated uh, to, but, but it's been estimated to be around 200 AD. 
And this image seems to show a young man worshiping a crucified, donkey-headed figure. And the Greek inscription approximately translates to Alexaminos worships his God, indicating that this, this, this graffito was apparently meant to mock a Christian named Alexaminos. See, to the world, this seemed foolish. So foolish that the representation of Jesus became a donkey. Why would God become weak for us? Why would God come as a servant and not as a king? The cross, Jesus' end to his earthly life, in their eyes, seemed completely foolish. The world says our value is based on, on what we do, not on who we are. doesn't matter where you go. The first question you are asked after giving your name is what? So Christian, what do you do? And I know that when I am being asked that question, they're just basically trying to figure me out, okay? They're like, well, if I know what he does, then I basically kind of know who he is. And so I get asked that question. And, and sometimes uh, when I get asked that question, I just like to mess with people, okay? All right, I'm the only one who does this. But I, I, I kind of become a little bit vague with what I do. And, and when people ask me what I do for a living, there are times that I just say, uh, they say, Christian, what do you do? And I say, uh, well, I'm in sales, actually. And they say, oh, okay, that's, that's interesting. What do you sell? I say, well, I, I sell life insurance. Oh, that's really interesting. You sell life insurance. It, how, how expensive are the plans that you kind of lay out? And I said, well, actually, it's kind of funny. My life insurance is free. And they're like, free? Are you kidding me? Where do you get that? And I say, 2901 20th Street, Moorhead. Best time to come Sunday mornings. All the time, though, we, we are told that what we do makes us who we are. In the world's eyes, doing precedes being. But what the gospel tells us is that I do what I do because of who I am. That being precedes doing. That we aren't human doings, but we are human beings. Sometimes we can feel that if we don't have the right answer when someone asks, what do you do, that, that we aren't valuable. That we aren't what we should be. And we aren't valuable as humans. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is an incredibly successful organization that has helped kind of change millions of, of people's lives. And, and I, I personally have had friends and, and family members who have participated in that, in that program and has played a major role in, in their life. Uh, but one of the reasons why AA has had success is because its message is different than, than what the world tells us about all of those unspoken rules that I mentioned earlier. Uh, I recently asked somebody this, this past week um, uh, who currently still goes to AA and is, and is a sponsor for others in the program, I just basically asked the question, I said, why is AA so attractive and why is it, why is it helpful? And you know what the person said? The person said to me is this, they said that, that it's attractive and it's helpful for the same reason. Because people feel like they can be themselves there and can honestly admit to their mistakes and who they really are. That they don't have to put on a mask 
They don't have to worry about feeling judged. And that when they know that when they share about what's really going on in their life and the struggles of their life and the the weaknesses that it clearly is apparent to other people, that they know that everybody else in the room shares shares in that same weakness. That they're all kind of on equal footing. That that's why AA is so helpful and successful. Imagine a place, just for a moment, imagine a place where we can come and be able to admit that we don't have it all together. That, 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 that you've made mistakes, not just in the past, but you're continually in the present making mistakes. That you need help and that you have a problem and, and that you aren't able to deal with it just on your own. That instead of receiving judgment and being looked down upon, instead you can find others who are in the same boat with you. Imagine a place like that. What a place. The cross of Christ is a stumbling block to our own self-righteousness. Yet this is where God has chosen to reveal his power and his wisdom. As our text tells us here this morning, God has chosen what is foolish in the eyes of the world to shame those who think that they are wise in their own eyes. That he has chosen to reveal himself in weakness to shame those who think that they are strong. For the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing in the delusion of their own wisdom and strength, but to those who are being saved through it is the power of God. There is a, there's been a craze lately going on where uh, everyone basically wants to find out their own, their own ancestry. I don't know if you've been people who've maybe done this. There are, uh, there are, are, are groups like 23andMe and, and heritage sites where you can kind of get your DNA tested and kind of find out basically your, your kind of biological makeup. And uh, I, I don't do it because all I have to do is look in the mirror and see my square head and realize where uh, apparently I hail from, okay? But, um, but there are many people who find this interesting, and they love to find out kind of like where, where they come from and, and, and find out all these different things. And they're, they're honestly surprised to find out what's in their heritage, which they never kind of knew about, okay? Um, and, and when I kind of think about it, when I think about maybe where I'm a descendant from, and yes, I make the joke about my Norwegian heritage, but, um, but when I think about where I'm a descendant from, you know, there, there's somebody in Scripture that I find that I must be a descendant from. And, and when, I, when I read the story in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, about the woman at the well who Jesus meets in Samaria. It seems as though he really needed to specifically go there. And he meets this woman who's out in the middle of the day, in the middle of the heat, at the hottest point of the day, because she knows that she's embarrassed and full of shame and guilt because of her adulterous life and, and kind of how she's lived her life. And so she's out there, and Jesus meets her and asks her for a drink. And, and, and when, when I read that story, and, and I read about her, her shame, and I read about where she's at, and, but also how Jesus approaches her and speaks life into her, I think to myself, I must be a descendant from her. I got to somehow be connected because, because I, I, I think is because that, that encounter and how she comes into it is something that I can relate to. That her shame and her present circumstances and that they, they, they have her avoiding interaction with others because she does not want to be exposed. That being exposed, is, it's, it's terrifying. And I think we all know how much we try to avoid it. 
See, we have learned the unwritten rule that we cannot show our true colors. But that is exactly where Jesus meets us. He meets us in the midst of our shame and our guilt. And just like the woman at the well, he asks us for a drink. See, it's often the areas of our inner selves that we try to hide from others and, and, and sometimes from God himself that God finds most interesting. And it's amazing that the things that we try to cover and hope he doesn't see are the things that he wants to cover with his grace. I find myself so in line with her. I gotta be a distant relative. When Adam and Eve first sinned, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves to hide their shame from God. It wasn't that God didn't want to cover their shame, it's that he wanted to cover their shame with a sacrifice. That their covering that they were making was superficial, but the covering that God desired to give them was costly. He did not plan to leave them there naked and afraid in their sin, but to cover them correctly because he understand a life had to be taken. See, this is why the gospel makes the church unique, that I don't have to hide my imperfections. I don't have to hide my cluttered house. I don't have to hide my sin. That the cross of Christ, that the good news of the gospel offers me new life and that I can boast even in my weaknesses. And when I boast of the Lord, and, and, and I get to be able to boast in the Lord and what he has done in my life. Um, I, the fall is always this marker in, in, in our year, I feel like, and maybe this is a new season of life for you. Maybe you're stepping into a new job. Maybe you're stepping into a new school. Maybe you're stepping into a new stage of life, and, and whether that's just because people have left the home and you're empty nesters, or whether because you've suffered a loss and, and now life is going to drastically look different. It could be easy for us to hide and allow the voices to say that we don't belong, that, that we can't admit our fear, that we can't admit our inability. But the cross of Christ, the message of the cross, and, and, and the message of the gospel says that we do not have to be, we do not have to hide in any of those things, that I can be boasting even in my weaknesses because when I boast, I boast because of the Lord. Amen? Don't allow that to be the case in your life. When I was in, uh, when I was in seminary, I, uh, I, I knew a guy from church, and we're just going to call him John, okay? And that's not his name. But uh, John was, uh, he was an odd bird, okay? Let me just put, start out there. John was kind of an odd bird. And, and I remember this one day where I ran into John at Service Foods in Fergus, and I was just doing some grocery shopping, and, and I'm walking through the aisles, and, and, I'm, and, I, and, I, and I see John, and I say, hey, John, how's it going? How are you doing? He goes, saved by the blood of the lamb, Christian, just saved by the blood of the lamb. And, and I was like, okay. Uh, I'm going to get my corn on the cob now. I don't, I don't know what to do with that. And it was like, and then every time I would see John, uh, he'd always give me the same phrase. And for so long, I was like, dude, you're an odd duck. I don't know. Like, who says that? I'm like, I was just looking for a, I'm doing great. How are you? Saved by the blood of the lamb, Christian. Just saved by the blood of the lamb. And I was thinking about that this week. I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb. 
I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb and that my identity is in Christ. And I don't have to care about all these other things that I often find myself getting so caught up in. That I can just say, I'm, I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb. And I'm, I, am, I can boast in that. What a wonderful reminder that I, I need that, that what we are is based in whose we are. And if that's not, if that's not true for you today, I invite you to, I invite you to just to hear about that message of the good news of the gospel of Christ and what he has provided you. If, this is, if you know that, then be reminded of that. Be reminded that you have been bought and paid for because of God's great love for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, um, Lord, your, your message of the cross. Lord, you're going to the cross. I, Lord, I thank you uh, for that. I, I thank you that we can just here in a moment come before the Lord's table and, and Lord, to be, be able to be understanding that, that we are a people who are in need. Lord, that we need to receive your forgiveness and not just once, but Lord, that we need to come before you and live our life in you and, and live our life with our eyes on the cross every day. Father, I pray that, that as we kick off this new year that we understand that our driving force is, is your message of the gospel, that it's the one that's seating in the driver's seat. Lord, I, I, we admit that sometimes we're bad backseat drivers. And we try to control things and we try to think that we know the best path to go. And so, Father, I, I, just, I, just, I just pray for your gospel to be our, our driving force and, and allow that to steer us as a congregation and, and as individuals too and as, as people and members of our family and in our jobs and all the places you have us in our life. Lord, we're, we just pray for those things to be true. We pray this in your name. Amen.